0: Welcome to the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast, sponsored by Tamplay Suites, Waco Northeast. This episode, remembering Gabe Rivera, with author Jorge Iver. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast presented by Town Place Suites, Waco Northeast. Make Town Place Suites, Waco Northeast, your home court on the road. I'm author and oral historian Jackson Michael. This episode features an interview with author Jorge Iber, a faculty member at Texas Tech University. He will share stories about the life of of former Red Raider superstar defensive tackle Gabe Rivera, otherwise known as Senor Sack. Iber will also discuss with us his new biography about Rivera, entitled Senor Sack, The Life of Gabe Rivera, which is published by the Texas Tech University Press. Gabe Rivera is a member of both the Southwest Conference Hall of Fame and the Texas High School Football Hall of Fame, both of which are housed on the grounds of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame in Waco. Rivera is also enshrined in the Texas Tech Ring of Honor. He attended Jefferson High School in San Antonio and was a Parade All-American in high school. He went on to star at Texas Tech and earn Consensus All-American honors. The Pittsburgh Steelers, Selected Gabe Rivera in the first round of the 1983 NFL Draft. His NFL career was off to a good start with two sacks in his first six games before a car accident left him paralyzed. Rivera passed away in 2018. Jorge Iber has written a new book that tells the life of Gabe Rivera. He is here on the podcast to discuss it with us now. Let's talk a little bit about what inspired you to write this new book, Senor Sack, The Life of Gabe Rivera. Well, a
1: couple of things. Um, Number one, when I got here to Tech, I got here in 1997, I had a chance to meet Gabe at a football game, and I write about it in the book. Uh, I, I don't remember if it was like, 1999 or 2000 and, and you know I, I knew of Gabe because I've, I've always been a big Pittsburgh Steelers fan so I'm always trying to stay up with who the Steelers are picking in the draft so I, I remember very distinctly when they picked Gabe in 1983 Saying to myself, wow, Hispanic guy, uh, you know, got going to play with the Steelers. And, you know, of course, back then, they, I didn't have the, the slightest inkling that I would ever wind up at Texas Tech or that I would ever get a chance to meet Gabe. But uh, it, it was a game between Tech and Nebraska, and Tech got slaughtered. I think the score was like 56 to 3. And I remember, you know, I, I, I got, had a chance to meet Gabe uh... we talked for a little bit we sort of commiserated about how poorly tech played that day and I, I remember saying to myself as he was leaving you know somebody ought to write a book on this guy not a whole lot of mexican-americans playing at the uh, in the nfl and when he passed uh... i waited a few months and i got in touch with his widow uh... nancy and she brought in uh... like four Containers full of memorabilia, scrapbooks, uh, newspaper articles, letters—you name it—and um, that's basically what I what I utilized to uh, to write the book.
0: Well, and that's fascinating. You know, the the inspiration came years before.
1: Yeah, and, and, and I got to be honest with you. I mean, you know, I, I remember very clearly. The day that uh, Gabe had his accident, uh, and, and of course, you know, uh, a- after that, I kind of, kind of forgot about it. But when I got to tech, uh, holy smokes, it's been almost 24 years, I met a couple of historians here, Joe King and Jim Harper. Uh, they're, they're, they're both, they're both deceased now. Uh, and they were among the first historians in the country to do a history of baseball class. And I also had a professor back at the University of Utah, Larry Gerlach, who did sports history. Although I never took a class with him, I just would, would talk to him about, about the field. And I always kept saying to myself, holy smokes, this is so great. I love sports, have absolutely no athletic ability whatsoever. Uh, so this is basically proven to be a way for me to, uh, to, to live vicariously through the uh, lives of the athletes I've had the opportunity to write about. So you know, it, it all fell into place with Gabe. Got in touch with his brother Norbert, and his Norbert introduced me to other members of the family, and we talked for hours. And between the newspapers, the scrapbooks, more research through uh, through archival materials, but that's how I put the book together.
0: And uh, Rivera was born in Crystal City, and then his his family moved to. San Antonio at one point. What, what is kind of the story behind that?
1: His dad, Juan was a football coach. A, a football coach and a track coach. So his dad, and again, I do talk about this a great deal in the book, his dad was a, a star athlete in uh, Crystal City and he, unlike the overwhelming majority of Mexican Americans in Crystal City in the late 1940s, managed to get through Crystal City High School, and in part it was because he was such a good athlete. A couple of individuals in the school administration took an interest in him, helped you know helped him move along. Uh, he graduated in 1948. One of these individuals uh, spoke to a friend of his at the uh, the college in Brownwood, Howard Payne. Back then it was Howard Payne College. So he went and he played uh, he played football there for a year, nineteen forty nine Then he went into the military for a couple of years. he was uh, um, uh he was drafted, if I remember correctly, during the uh, Korean War served for a couple of years but came back and finished his degree at Howard Payne and then went on to get a master's degree and all the while he was playing he was playing football. So he graduates in 54 because he, he was in the service from 50 to 52. so he, he graduates in 54. he has a tryout with the Chicago Cardinals. Uh, doesn't make it. Uh, I, I don't know if he got injured or if he was cut. He doesn't make it in the in the pro ranks. Comes back and begins a career as a uh, as a football coach, as a as a as a track coach. And as you know, I'm sure you're aware, uh, football coaches and track coaches they bounce around all over the place. So they go from. Crystal City. They go to Benavides. They go to they go to several places, and eventually they do wind up in San Antonio. That's where Gabe, you know, comes to prominence uh, through his athletic talent. And Gabe was a great baseball player, a great basketball player, a track athlete, uh, specifically a shot putter, uh, as well as football.
0: So he was a multi-sport athlete.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, a, trem- a tremendous athlete.
0: And then, did Gabe end up choosing to play football because of his father, or? Um...
1: Yeah, I, I would say I would say that his dad had the greatest influence on him. Plus, the fact that Gabe was just superb at football. He won basically every award that you could win as a San Antonio area high school football player. I mean, he was actually contacted by Notre Dame as well as, like, several other, like, 10 other schools. He basically narrowed it down to Tech and Baylor. His mom, Maria Antonia, felt very comfortable with the, the people who came to visit him from Texas Tech. His dad, I think, had the best influence of him deciding to play football, but ultimately he and, and his mom really liked the people who recruited him for, from Texas Tech. And that's ultimately why he decided to come to Tech.
0: And he had a, a fantastic career at Tech. Oh, yeah. How did he get into the starting lineup? When, what year was that and, and what, what were some standout things that, that kind of kept him in there?
1: It starts off in 1979. Texas Tech played against USC in 1978 at the Coliseum. They lost 17-9. to Then there was a return game here in Lovett where the Trojans came in to play Texas Tech. And Gabe, yeah, he was a freshman. And I've got a really nice quote for you here. The offensive lineman for USC who lined up against Gabe basically, you know, was ripping on him because hey, you know, after all, he's a freshman, you know, he, he's gonna, he's gonna try to intimidate him. And the, Gabe just basically planted the guy on his butt. And in addition, he also did a really great play where he hurled the quarterback for USC, Paul McDonald, to the ground for a loss of seven yards, and you know he was just basically dominating the USC offensive line. And here's a here's a quote from me that that I think you'll be you uh, you like. A few days later, Robinson an article specifically focused on Gabe. He once again cited the play of USC, the play when USC was threatening on Tech 22. For a really big play, you turn to the real big man, Texas Tech had the biggest of them all, Gabe Rivera, the 300-pound freshman. Two yards before McDonald reached the sideline, Senor Sack reached out, grabbed the quarterback by the jersey, and with one hand tossed him several yards through the air. Big Gabe waved a clenched fist at the offensive line. Although a sub who played only sparingly, Rivera was credited with five key tackles against the nation's number one team. Quote, he'll be starting by mid-season, said one press box helper. One thing is certain, another scribe said later. In the near future, Texas is going to have an All-American on defense. Senor Sack is a stud.
0: This is like the first game of the season in 1979. As a freshman. As a freshman. Incredible. There are very few players that have the instincts and raw ability to go from straight from high school football, especially in the nineteen seventies, to competing at that level of D one football. Now
1: I, I do have to tell you there's there's a there's a bit of controversy in the local paper, the local Mexican American paper at Editor here in town. Gabe doesn't start until later that year. So people are saying, well, wait a minute, why is this guy you know, here's here's a quote. Uh, this is from the Mexican paper El Editor. Uh, it says Gabriel has not started for the Raiders but has done a lot of damage and the Southwest conference teams are beginning to feel his presence. Why Rivera doesn't start as a mystery question that is still not answered by tech coach Dockery. So there there's a there's a sense that, you know, why is he not starting? So I guess it's October the 20th of 1979. October 20th, his first start was
0: against Rice here at the Jones. When we return, Jorge Iver will discuss Gabe Rivera's tremendous career at Texas Tech, as well as the tragic car accident that would change his life on the Texas sports hall of fame podcast presented by town play suites Waco Northeast.
1: Hi guys, this is the rocket Roger Clemens and you're listening to the Texas sports hall of fame podcast.
0: When you come to Waco, be sure to stay at the town play suites Waco Northeast located just a short distance from the texas sports hall of fame you'll start your day off with a delicious complimentary breakfast and you'll also enjoy the town play suites free wi-fi fitness center and pool next time you come to waco make the town play suites waco northeast your home base on the road Welcome back to Remembering Gabe Rivera with author Jorge Iber on the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast presented by Town Play Suites, Waco Northeast. When we left off, Gabe Rivera had just earned a starting role in the Texas Tech starting lineup as a freshman. He's in the starting lineup. And then as a sophomore, and a junior, he's starting to play more. And then he, he breaks out as a star, not just in the Southwest Conference, but he breaks out as a star on the national level. Right. And, and that, that game, the game that makes him a star
1: at the national level is in 1982. It's, it's in his senior year. Tech is playing against Washington in Seattle. Now, it's kind of funny because, I mean, it certainly doesn't fit the way that most schedules are today. Most schedules today, you play your non-conference games at the start of the season, then you go into the conference schedule and you play the rest of your season at your conference schedule. But Tech had already played six games going into that contest against Washington. And they were, of course, a mediocre 3-3, and but... Gabe goes into that game and just obliterates Washington. I mean, just totally dominates the game. Just completely, completely dominates every aspect of the game. Tech lost 10 to three, and it was three to nothing until late. And against the Huskies, Rivera was seemingly everywhere. Here's here's his stats. 10 tackles, five unassisted, four pass breakups, one sack, one tackle for loss, and four quarterback rushes.
0: And this is from the defensive tackle position.
1: Right. And this is Don James, the head coach of the Huskies. Quote, I've seen a lot of quarterbacks and running backs have outstanding games, but I don't think I've ever seen a defensive player play so well against us. He's the most dominating defensive player from start to finish I have ever seen. That's a direct quote from Don James.
0: So... We get into the 1983 draft. It's the year of the quarterback. Right. Dan Marino. Dan Marino is still on the board, and the Steelers are picking, and Chuck Noll famously decides, hey, we built our team with Joe Green in the 70s. Exactly.
1: And that is exactly how I phrase it in the book. Since Joe Green was the guy was the pick that began to build the Steel Curtain and began to build that dynastic period of the Steelers. Chuck Noll was insistent upon the idea of doing
0: that again, and Gabe was going to be the guy. And, and he he had a pretty good start to his NFL career in the six games he played. He, he did have a couple of sacks as a rookie. Yeah. he was injured a couple of times during training
1: camp but he was everybody was saying that he was starting to get it he was starting to come into his own and you know of course then the accident happens
0: right and um the accident of course tragically leaves him paralyzed and could you just for younger people who don't remember could you kind of just briefly go over the car accident that that he had
1: okay. he just finished uh, practice and he and a couple other guys from the Steelers you know the taxi taxi squad guys went to a bar and it's a bar restaurant had a whole bunch of drinks gave had a few beers now the again you know you, you know how you know how this is the guy who owned the restaurant basically was saying, well, you know, we know when to cut people off, and, you know. So, I, as far as I know, there was never any kind of a lawsuit against the actual restaurant owner, bar owner. Uh, and the date was, okay, it's October 20th, 1983. And he's driving, he's got a 280ZX. They were beautiful, sleek, totally cool-looking. But, you know, basically it's a death trap. And he crosses the median and crashes headfirst into a 1979 Ford LTD, which is probably twice the size of the Datsun. He's ejected through the back window of the car. And basically, that's it. You know, it's. He was under the influence. Then you go into a period of time when he is, he's in the hospital, it's very serious. They weren't sure if he was going to live for a while, but ultimately it comes down to the spinal cord is severely, severely damaged, and he will never walk again. It's a very tragic story. Now. There are people in Pittsburgh, and I do mention this in the in the book. There are some people in Pittsburgh who said that he was let off lightly because you know, basically he winds up with a slap on the wrist. You know, it's kind of, you know it's kind of like some sort of probation and some uh, classes where he has to you know learn about. Uh, you know, the, the the problems with the drug driving and all that. And some folks actually in the newspapers send letters to the editors complaining, well, if he hadn't been playing for the Steelers, he wouldn't. He wouldn't have gotten off so lightly. But actually, one of the newspaper reporters comes to his defense and says, I kind of think that the fact that his career's over and that his life will never be the same, I think he's paid his dues. So... You know, and then you begin the process and there's a whole chapter. That chapter, which is chapter, chapter seven of the book, that's really the only point in the book when I get, quote, academic-y, because I begin to go into some of the literature that deals with what's the psychological impact of someone who was an athlete and in this case, an elite athlete playing in the NFL, and all of a sudden you, you suffer a spinal cord injury. So I talk about Daryl Stingley. I talk about Dennis Bird, the guy with the New York Jets. Although Dennis Bird actually was able to recover, uh, at least with some mobility. Obviously, Daryl Stingley never did. Obviously, Gabe never did. I came across a master's thesis from Ohio University and it talks about this issue and I contacted the author and it turns out that the author is now working on his doctoral dissertation at Wisconsin-Milwaukee and the, the author of that disserta- of that master's thesis and, and now working on his dissertation is a young man who is a quadriplegic From having suffered a spinal cord injury as a hockey player when he was in high school. I interviewed him. I've got some quotes from him in the book. Uh, Just fascinating. But, you know, what is it like when your life is turned completely upside down from one day to the next and you go from being an elite athlete? Playing at the highest level of your sport, to now basically having to have people take care of your most private
0: needs—it's—it's it's stunning even to talk about it.
1: And, and I go into the Steelers were very good to him. They—he—he he signed for like a four hundred thousand dollar bonus. It worked out to like three hundred twenty some thousand dollars. Obviously, he kept that. He kept his salary, obviously, for the first six weeks. The Steelers paid him the remainder of his salary for what was his rookie year. The Steelers also bought him several vans equipped for a a paraplegic over the years. Uh, the Steelers would help him out. The Steelers gave him a job for a period of time, but that didn't quite work out. So I think the Steelers were very, very good to him, very, very good to his family. Basically, Art Rooney became very, very dear friends with Gabe's mom, Maria Antonia, and there's just this really long section in that Chapter 7 where I talk about the relationship between Art Rooney, this Irish NFL patriarch who spoke no Spanish, and Maria Antonia... Rivera, uh, who you know Mexican American woman from San Antonio who basically spoke no English, and but yet they shared a common Catholic faith. They would go to mass every morning together in the cathedral in Pittsburgh.
0: Very touching story. Very very touching. Wow, that's fantastic that you uncovered this, and and it's so um, it's so great that you've covered the story of Gabe Rivera, and I think it's an important one to tell. And, and in the end, you know, he doesn't recover physically from the injury, but, but he did play a big part in the San Antonio community uh, later in his life. Is, is that correct?
1: Yes, sir. He winds up working for an inner city Catholic organization mentoring kids. And he, look, it, it takes him a while between 83 and 97, 98, he's pretty much a lost soul. He's He divorces his first wife, marries and divorces again, and then eventually he finally meets Nancy and, and marries her. There, there's a, there's an old song by uh, Bruce Hornsby in The Range. I don't know if you're familiar with him and, and his music, but I, I actually would play that song a few times when I was writing certain parts of this chapter, because it really got me to think about what a lost soul is. And Gabe was honest to God, a lost soul. You know, he he would talk about, well, I'm going to go back to school and I'm going to get a degree and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And nothing ever pans out until eventually he finally makes the connection with, with inner city. And, and, you know, he becomes, just a great mentor, and a father figure. There's a couple of guys that I quote at the end who, I mean, Gabe was a father figure to these young men. And again, at the very end of the book, it's it's really almost heartbreaking to write. Eventually what happens to people in, who are paraplegic, they're sitting down forever, basically, and you, you begin to compress your internal organs. And what what finally begins to happen is you damage those organs and Gabe had to go through several operations to repair his, his intestines. Eventually, it ruptures. He becomes septic. And, you know, the doctors come in and tell him and Nancy that, you know, you're, you're going to die within a day or two. And the kids from the... From the uh, from the inner city uh, organization come to visit him. His son comes to visit him. And and he kind of had a difficult relationship with his son. And he passes peacefully.
0: And, you know, we we paid him a great tribute here at Texas Tech. You know, he's in
1: the ring of honor.
0: And so it's a beautiful story. It's a tragic story. It's... The story of a kid coming from a small town and rising up through sport. Mm-hmm. And it, it encompasses so many things. And as you were writing it, how did you work through the process of getting all of those plot lines, storylines to mesh together?
1: Mike Torres, the guy who pitched for the, uh, for the New York Yankees. I have a model, and I'm actually kind of doing that now with a family of, of Mexican American high school and collegiate wrestlers from the state of Wyoming. Basically what I try to do is I try to place these individuals within the context of Mexican American and sports, US sports history. Not a whole lot of people have written about Latino athletes at the academic level. It's 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 a biography, it has some academic elements to it. I can't help that. I mean I am what I am. But at the same time it is it is for general consumption.
0: And where can people pick that up?
1: Amazon, Texas Tech University Press, you know, anywhere. This is gonna be the fifteenth book that I've edited, co-edited, written, or co-written. In sports, I've done the biography on Mike Torres. I've done a book on Latinos in American football in general. I've done a book on Latinos in American sports in general. I'm working on the book on this family in Wyoming, as I told you. And I'm also working on a book on
0: Spanish language major league broadcasters. I'd love to chat with you again um, because we happy, didn't even happy to do so. we didn't touch on any Latino sports history outside of uh, Gabe Rivera in Texas. Is there anything else in, in, important about the book that you, you you'd like to convey? I
1: just think it's a wonderful tribute to a good man who overcame something that might have defeated, I would argue, the majority of us. And it took him a while. He was not perfect. I mean, it's not a hagiography by, by any stretch of the imagination. But I just think it's a biography of a man who did the best he could with the very positive things that he was dealt with and the very negative things that he was dealt with. And frankly, what more can we expect out of any man?
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast sponsored by Tamplay Suites, Waco Northeast. Come visit the Texas Sports Hall of Fame in Waco and when you do, book your stay at the Tamplay Suites, Waco Northeast. Thank you to Jorge Iber for being with us on the podcast and be sure to look for his new book, Senor Sack, The Life of Gabe Rivera, which is published by the Texas Tech University Press.